Welcome to Essential Wisdom, Inspiring Future Female Physicians, a podcast for engaging and informing the next generation of women in medicine. My name is Carrie DeBell. I'm a fourth-year medical student at the Frank H. Netter MD School of Medicine at Quinnipiac University. Essential Wisdom is a podcast for discussing the joys and the challenges of being a woman in medicine through the sharing of stories and advice by women who mentor us. Take a seat with me at the desks of the mentors. Come along to walk the halls of the hospitals to experience residency and life as a physician personally, as we get to know these phenomenal physicians and scientists. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Essential Wisdom for the final episode of this podcast. I have had just such a great time recording these episodes, and I wanted to have the opportunity to come together for one last episode to just reflect on what we've learned, and um, I'm excited to share a little bit more with you about myself and why this podcast has meant so much to me. So first off, I just want to say thank you to all of the women who have spoken on this great compendium of women physicians and women scientists. I think one of the most important things that we can continue to do for young women in the field of science is share with them our experiences. And I think this is important not only because it lays a foundation for what they go into the field knowing, but it also provides them with an opportunity to reflect on how those experiences might inform their choices. Um, One of the themes that I've come across throughout this podcast, and maybe you all have noticed as well, is that A lot of us make the decision to go into medicine without necessarily knowing or seeing women in medicine that we would like to emulate. And it's very important to allow the younger women and generations below us, I think, to overpass or to overcome this barrier. You know, um, there are women in medicine today. There are women in science today. And what a great world that we get to walk into in 2020, where this, this barrier in itself is less prohibitive that women are able to see other physicians who are surgeons, who are internists, who are pediatricians, um, who are psychiatrists, who are cardiologists, and to notice that those roles are available for you, that you are welcome in those workplaces, that you are welcome in the lab, that you are welcome with all of the things that you bring, whether it's a family or just your compassionate and kind gifts. So with that being said, that has been the greatest joy of my heart in making this podcast. And I'm so excited to share a little bit more about my story with you. And hopefully some of those ideas will come along as we go. So here we go for our 30 minutes together. My path to becoming a female physician is a little bit um, windy, I guess, in the shortest sense of the word. I actually wanted to become a high school biology teacher originally. Um, One of my mentors and friends in life is Teresa Villa, who was my high school biology teacher. And I was absolutely inspired by what she did. Um, She brought science alive in the classroom in a way that was just not only enjoyable, but it was just engaging. You know, our activities were interesting. Her passion for science was electric. And I think that all of the times that I enjoyed in 
high school learning science really made me want to not only understand science more deeply, but have the opportunity to share that passion and that joy with other people. And so um, I wound up going to St. Mary's College, which is an all-women's college in South Bend, Indiana. For those of you who are unfamiliar with St. Mary's, it is the sister school to Notre Dame, which means that they were founded separately, but around the same time. And St. Mary's was founded by the Sisters of the Holy Cross. Um, Notre Dame has since become co-ed and St. Mary's has chosen to become or to stay an all-women's college. And uh, in choosing to go to St. Mary's, you know, I was not intending to go to an all-women's college. It was not a part of my interest. And um, I wound up going there for, you know, a cohort of, of reasons, but I just absolutely adored my time at St. Mary's. The women that I met there not only showed me that you can bring confidence and strength into the classroom, but you can also bring your curiosity. And um, I think it was at that time in college that I started to notice that there was such a difference when there were no men in the classroom. And I had gone to co-ed school since I was a kid, and and I never really thought that being in a women's college was going to influence me in that way. But when women are just with one another learning, you know, whatever it was, science or philosophy or literature, I think that there is a certain um, disinhibition about speaking up. And maybe you want to attest that to unconscious biases or very conscious biases. I'm not sure. But women, when they're with one another, tend to feel confident enough to speak up and to share their opinions. And, and so that really was one of the important influences that I had at St. Mary's. But I guess even more importantly, that really chose me, uh, led me to choose the path of medicine was my experience with my faculty advisor, my mentor at St. Mary's, Dr. Nancy Nekvasel, who we had the chance to speak with earlier in the podcast. Um, There's a very specific day when I decided that, one, I wanted to be a biology major, and then a later day where I decided I wanted to be a doctor. And um, on the day that I thought I would be a biology major, you know, I walked into her office unannounced, no meeting, no meeting planned. And um, I looked at her and I said, I think I'm going to be a biology major. And she was the chair of biology at the time. And she was just like, yeah, okay. And um, there was nothing more powerful than saying yes to another person when they have goals and dreams. Um, There is always room in mentorship relationships to share your opinions and to guide and to direct people based on what you see in them as talents and as gifts. But there is nothing more powerful than saying yes to somebody who wants to go achieve something. And that came up with Dr. Risk early on in the podcast. Um, She told us, you are good enough. You know, you can do this and you can achieve whatever you believe that you want. And I think that that really echoes true to all women who are, um, diving into their experiences in college and in medical school, that you can achieve the things that you desire to achieve. You just need to believe in yourself. You need to become educated about the circumstances that you will be walking into, and you need to prepare yourself. And then all along the road, you need to be determined. And um, (laughs) that's a bit of an aside, but my experience with Dr. Nekfasil at the time really showed me that the power of one yes is extremely amazing in your life. You know, if one person just tells you you can do this, then gives you the opportunity to do it, a lot of times things will just start to unfold. And and that's also a personal reflection, you know. When you start to feel like, oh my gosh, I, I think I might actually be interested in pursuing medicine or pursuing science, um, even if there are um, 
reasons that you may not want to do that, um, I think it's important to investigate what it looks like to say yes to that. And uh, I, like, I wanted to be a biology teacher. I, I did not want to be a doctor. And it was an experience with my grandmother um, when she was hospitalized for a while in the middle of my college time that um, I really saw for the first time that a physician is a teacher. <laughs> um, my grandma's nephrologist is an incredible teacher to her. She's now 94 years old, has lived so many years past her ICU admissions since I was in college. And, um, he taught her how to take care of her body. And every single time she goes to his office, it's a continual learning experience for her at 94, you know, how to limit your salt intake and notice what you're drinking and notice what you're eating and how that will influence her wellness and her well-being. And, um, in the hospital, I had an experience with her where I saw that for the first time, where I really recognized like, oh my gosh, like I've been wanting to be a teacher all this time, but look what I can do. Look what I can do with the scientific knowledge that not only do I have the chance to teach people, but I have the chance to encounter them in a vulnerable moment in their lives. And so, yeah, that, that was what really made me want to be a physician. And at the time I didn't have a lot of female mentors. So, um, you know, I did what most of us do and we shadow, you know, I shadowed a lot of a lot of different people. My first experience in the hospital actually, which is really quite telling, and I think I didn't realize this at the time, but the first thing I decided to do after I wanted to be a doctor was shadow in a heart surgery case. It's ironic. <laughs> I saw mitral valve replacement. And um, I remember walking out of that OR so proud that I stood for six hours. <laughs> that was the most important thing to me at the time, that I was able to stand there for six hours, that I didn't get nauseous from the blood and, and the whole thing, but that I could just be captivated by that, captivated by watching the valve go in. Um, it's such an interesting thing to look back and notice that that was the first thing I wanted to see. And, and I went on to shadow a lot of different things and um, eventually, you know, s settled on surgery after my experiences at Quinnipiac. And, um, yeah, that's how I really learned that I wanted to be a doctor. And in terms of choosing surgery itself, you know, um, I entered Quinnipiac actually the spring before I started at QU, we had a, um, second look weekend. And a lot of medical schools will do this where after you get accepted, you could come back and just have a second look to meet people and, and see if this is the place for you before you confirm and, and enroll for the fall time. And I remember really distinctly the second look weekend because we had a presentation by, um, Dr. Christine Van Cott, who is, um, actually was on the podcast earlier as well. And she, directed our surgery clerkship and is a really big influence in our surgery interest group at Quinnipiac. And I, I literally remember watching her presentation and I walked out actually afterwards because she gave us the chance to talk with her. I know exactly what I was wearing. It's so funny how these moments stick with you. And, um, you know, I walked out and I told her like, Oh, I think I might be interested in surgery. And this is the first time I ever said that, that, that was like a crazy idea that I would go be a surgeon. And, um, Anyway, later I called my mom after the second look because I was like all of a sudden sold on Quinnipiac. And um, I told her, I said, I think I might want to be a surgeon. And she was like, yeah, sure, why not? And, and it was my own inner voice that was like, wait, that's kind of crazy. Like, are you sure you want to do that? Um, that held me back, I think, a little bit at first. But I entered Quinnipiac. I got involved with the surgery interest group early. And all through the time, I was actually really interested in interventional cardiology as well. I'd spent a lot of time in the cath lab observing cases, and um, I just love interventional cardiology too. I think 
the visualization that they get in the cath lab of the coronaries is so beautiful and the simple but kind of complex um, interventions that they're able to do to open up the arteries is just like phenomenal and so that was really my interest at the time and so i entered third year kind of like mm, i don't know maybe i'm gonna do medicine that was the plan but i'm gonna be open to surgery i i had medicine first i had surgery fourth and when i entered into medicine um i knew by the end of the first week that it was not for me <laughs> uh, it just was not my style you know a lot of people will talk about the differences between what you do um, just on a daily basis in these various specialties and the daily um journey of what it was to be in on the medicine wards just was not for me. I, I didn't like um, discussing medications and med changes and then, you know, the process of figuring out what was the best therapy for people. I just didn't feel was as active as I wanted to be. And so I left medicine kind of questioning actually what I was going to do because I knew if I wanted to be an interventional cardiologist, I would need to get through medicine, which is a three-year residency. And so at the time I was kind of lost felt like, oh my gosh, what the heck? I hope I like surgery. That was the thing I thought the most. Because you never know, actually, as you go into third year, every rotation is literally so different and is so dependent. Catherine and I talked about this earlier, um, are, is so dependent on the people that you get on your rotation and the experience that you're in. Um, so just be aware of that as you enter into third year as well. But when I was on my surgical clerkship, during third year, I was at Dr. Van Cott's hospital and she and I knew each other well at the time. So um, I felt really comfortable as I entered, entered into the wards and I knew I needed to, to step up my game a little and uh, get challenged every day. And I remember one of the things she told me in like my mid-clerkship evaluation was like, you need to do one thing every single day that scares you. And um, that is one of the truest things that I've experienced. I've talked about it on interviews as I've gone through fourth year. You know, I think being a little bit frightened and not in a dangerous way, but just in a way that you know you're pushing your comfort zone is really important in medicine. Um, obviously, you do safe things for patients. You do what's safe for patients first. Um, but you also need to push yourself. You need to push yourself to the point of asking the questions that you hadn't really thought to ask before. Or as a third year, when things are not really on your shoulders, try to take care of an ICU patient. Don't be afraid of being wrong. You know, because if you are wrong, you learn. And that's one of the biggest challenges of third year itself is that a lot of the time we are wrong <laughs> and it's not for lack of intelligence. You haven't come to be a third year in medical school um, without being extremely smart and extremely dedicated and extremely passionate about what you're doing. But the process of learning to recognize how to take care of a person is so much more complicated than reading a textbook. And like, I mean, I say this as only a fourth year in med school, I have years and years and years of experience to go. But just looking back on third year, I can recognize that um, the process of learning is making a lot of mistakes. Um, it's also taking a lot of chances and it's being compassionate with yourself. You cannot go into medical school thinking that you will continue to be the top of everything. And if you do want to, and you wind up being a neurosurgery person and you match at the best residency in the whole country or whatever, I'm just saying that because that's a competitive specialty, but you can certainly do that. And I'm not saying that you can't, you can, but you also need to be compassionate with yourself. And I think that was one of the things I had to learn as a third year medical student was to recognize that it was okay, that I was just doing my best and your best is great. Like your best is amazing. You're a third year medical student, you know? Think about what that looks like. That's incredible. You're going to be a physician. Your best is amazing. 
But sometimes your best feels lackluster. Sometimes it doesn't feel like, wow, I'm soaring over the moon because I did something great today. Sometimes your best is you got there early, you were able to round on three patients and you stumbled through those presentations. And sometimes you sounded a little bit awkward and sometimes you were kind of like mumbling because you weren't really sure what you were seeing or what the plan was for the day, but at least you tried, you know? And then, and then the, the thing is that the next day you come in, doing your best is just one-upping who you were yesterday. It's not one-upping a classmate. It's not one-upping, you know, all of the goals that we really set for ourselves along the medical school journey. It's um, figuring out what it means to keep improving on yourself, whether that's in the hospital or that's a personal goal. Maybe you're struggling during third year. You know, it's a, it's a lonely year. You're out there taking care of patients. You're only seeing a few classmates at a time if you have classmates at the same hospital as you. And basically all the relationships that you spent every single day with during first and second year have kind of like blown away and they're lost in the wind for some extent of the year. And especially fourth year, people go to travel and you all of a sudden are just really doing something completely different. So maybe it's that third year is emotionally challenging for you and doing better looks like coming home and making a good dinner and getting on the treadmill. I don't know, whatever it is for you, or it's watching Netflix or painting or something that helps you know that you're taking good care of yourself. So I digress a little bit, but um, those are the things that I wish I knew as a medical student in now that I'm a fourth year. Those are the things that I knew, wish I knew looking back at third year. You know, be kind to yourself. Take care of yourself in whatever way that means for you. Be introspective, paying attention to the things that make you fearful or joyful or nervous or upset. It's okay to walk out of the hospital at the end of the day and feel shaken up by the patients and what happened that day. It's okay to feel that way, but talk to someone, whether it's your family or your friends, a counselor, whatever it is, a therapist, whoever you talk to, you talk to best, you need to talk to them. It's a hard thing to walk into the hospital and every single day you could be with a new team. You could be seeing new patients. Um, there's an incredible amount of flexibility that's required in what we do when we train ourselves as third and fourth year medical students before we enter our residencies. And I would encourage you just to recognize that that flexibility doesn't come easily to everyone, but it does come, you know, you just have to keep going every single day. And at the end of the day, sit down, reflect on what you liked, reflect on what you didn't like. And I think that really helps if you're able to just become introspective about what you're going through so that you can decide what career you might want to build, you know, along this journey. Um, so one of the greatest rewards that I receive in my field, I think um, as a fourth year med student, it's kind of funny because I'm not really like in my field yet. <laughs> I feel like I just started to really um, see what it looks like to be a female surgeon and At the end of fourth year, you kind of have this transition where all of a sudden recommendations to patients or conversations with them starts to feel a little less effortful. Like all of a sudden they ask you a question and you just answer and you didn't feel like, well, I had to go retrieve knowledge for that. And it's really unique actually, because I walked home the first day that happened. I thought, wow, I think I'm starting to think like a doctor. (laughs) Finally, it took four years that I'm starting to think like a doctor, but there will be that transition. Like you will have that. You will have the time to start to think like a doctor. Um, So I guess right now, if I was just reflecting on my moment in time where I find myself, which is almost the end of my fourth year. I think that's the greatest reward 
um, it's seeing that growth. It's personally fulfilling to see the fact that you've grown that much. And it just makes me grateful, I guess is the, great, the best word for it. Um, I'm extremely grateful to the people that I've worked with throughout the last four years, whether it's at Quinnipiac or all my away rotations that I just came back from, you know, um, I've met a lot of amazing people and gosh, do, do I wish I had more time to record this podcast or more time to edit it because their stories and their insight are incredibly amazing. You know, they have had years and years of experience that I, I'm just so happy that I will get to have as well. Um, but what a cool opportunity to walk into the lives of so many physicians and so many patients and so many residents and, and you know, all the nurses and literally everyone you interact with in the hospital because it's such a team um, has something really unique to add to the equation. And I think that's the greatest reward. That's the greatest reward. Having the chance to work with these incredible people and to just see how much growth that's allowed me to have and to reflect on that at the end of my fourth year. That's not specific to being a woman, but I think also really important to imagine. So what's a barrier? Um, yeah, I think we've talked about this a lot on the podcast, a lot of different types of barriers that women face. And like, I will personally attest to the fact that there are moments where I know that I'm treated differently than my male counterparts. Um, that being said, they're not always overt. Sometimes they are. Sometimes they're patients making remarks to you that feel uncomfortable. Um, and that if you weren't a medical student, you might ask them to not make. Being a medical student is kind of a weird position to have those barriers in because no matter what, you're not really the one that's leading the room, right? Like you're always the learner. And um, sometimes patients do say things that are uncomfortable or attendings say things that are uncomfortable or classmates say things that are uncomfortable. It happens. And so I don't, need, I don't even think that I really have an answer for it yet, but I will tell you that it happens. And the best thing that you can do is just be prepared to keep your composure. Um, I think our strength as women comes from not only our heartfeltness and our compassion and our appreciation for taking care of people, but also the quiet and sometimes not quiet, but the inner strength that we invoke. And... Um, in situations that are challenging, I think the best thing that I've learned, if you're not going to, well, I think the best thing that I've learned is to keep your composure, keep your strength, and be confident in who you are. And if that incident needs to be addressed, go address it with the proper people. But in the moment, do not let those people penetrate the inner strength that you have, because that's very powerful to know who you are. Um, whoever you are, what you're grounded in, keep that identity. People will try to influence you one way or another, but you are the only you. And you make the field of medicine and the field of science better just by being there, by offering what you have, by welcoming patients into the hospital by welcoming classmates into your study rooms. You make it better. So remember that and be strong. Be strong all the way throughout this journey, it's worth it.
So in terms of daily habits then, um, hmm. my daily habits change every single rotation uh, because the hours change a lot in surgery. And I think maybe that's actually my daily habit that I think is most effective, change. <laughs> I've come to really embrace change. Um, it happens a lot in med school. You're going from rotation to rotation, hospital to hospital, year to year, and um, you're constantly adapting. And uh, I think my, my most effective daily habit is flexibility to learn to thrive in a lot of environments. And I guess with that, to make a home for yourself in different environments, like whatever that means for you, you know? Um, I have a place that I stop on my way into the hospital every day when I go in, um, if I'm at St. V's here in Bridgeport, when I'm in Connecticut, I have a place that I stop and uh, I just reflect before I start my day, you know? And I do the same thing usually on my way home. <laughs> Um, I'm dropping my Sharpies. For all of you that know me, um, I love Sharpies. This is not an ad, but I do love Sharpies. I love Sharpies and I love Post-its. And I'm sitting here with a stack of Post-its and a pack of Sharpies, and that's like the best thing I could have for a day. I guess with that being said, the, the other greatest hab habit that I follow is to create space for creativity. Um, there's literally nothing better for me than a day that looks like an empty day to be creative. <laughs> I think artwork and music have been really important in, in my life. And so leaving a day every so often, maybe it's only once a month, but just knowing that that day is going to be absolutely empty and that the space is free to be filled with creativity is just amazing. And I would, I would say, um, leave small spaces in the day that allow you to have that, you know, and surround yourself with things and people and, moments and relationships that bring you joy because this is a hard job and and I haven't even faced most of the hard parts right almost all of the hard parts <laughs> I'm only in the beginning but this is going to be a hard job I can tell you that so surround yourself with the things that make you happy the people that you love and the things that you cherish if I had one resource available to me how would my day look different um Oh, definitely just teleportation. That would be it. I would take all the driving out of my life. I love driving. Like, I love driving. But the amount of time that it takes to get places totally inhibits the amount of things you can complete. And maybe that's just me being in, like, hyperspace mode where I really just wish I could go from place to place to place and, like, complete my actions that I need to do for the day. And I'm learning. I'm, le I'm learning how to slow down. I'm really working on that because that's hard for me. I like to move fast. But um, definitely teleportation. Yeah, I would take the travel out of the day. That would help a lot, especially as a third and fourth year med student. You would be able to just like do your work. All of a sudden you're home, you're studying. All of a sudden you're at your favorite coffee shop working. All of a sudden you're at the store getting food. You know, you could just easily get from place to place. I could teleport myself home, see my family once in a while. I would have no geographical barriers. That would be amazing. So yeah, that'd be good. Teleportation. That's not real, but that's, that would be excellent. Um, priorities. Ooh, priorities have come up so much on this podcast because everybody has a really different way of setting theirs. Uh, and to be honest with you, as a 25-year-old med student, I don't really have a good answer to how I set my priorities. That's really why I included that <laughs> this in the podcast. I really tried to uh, get those answers from people. And I think what we've learned is that they're all very different. And probably that priorities change. That's come up a lot. You know, your priorities will change at every moment in your life. 
at every season in your life of what you're going through. And uh, my priorities right now are matching into residency, taking care of me in a healthy way, and maintaining good relationships, healthy relationships. You know, um, the only way to go through, grow through all that is to experience them. And those are the priorities I have right now, you know. And so those will change when I get to residency. It probably becomes residency first. Um, but I think it's nice to just reflect on how those look in your life and tr- try actively to help your day reflect that. So in terms of pivotal challenges that I faced, um, you know, I think probably the most significant challenge is just the moments where you find yourself um, needing help. You know, there's a lot of times where as medical students, you really just want to be excellent. You know, you want to be in pursuit of great grades, great performance, and sometimes you get sick or sometimes you need to be at the hospital or sometimes for yourself, or sometimes, um, you just aren't as well as you would like to be. And I had a couple of moments like this throughout my medical school experience. And um, I think the most important thing that I learned is just to be able to ask for help. You need help sometimes. And it's important to be able to ask, to say that to yourself, to recognize that sometimes you can't do everything perfectly on your own. Sometimes you can't do anything on your own at all. Um, Sometimes you need someone to carry your books or to drive you to class or whatever. And so even if that's happening when you're an adult, it's okay to ask for help. And it's okay to trust people. Trust well, trust good people. (laughs) But just allow yourself to have that, you know. So I learned that. Every day you have to get up, even if it's going to be a challenging day. You got to get out of bed. You got to get out to school. You got to get out to the hospital. And you have to see patients. Uh, Above all, that's what we do in our job is see patients. And um, sometimes it's hard when you have a lot of personal things going on to put all of that aside. Um, but you owe it to yourself to take the time to take care of you. Your job also allows you to have a chance to take care of other people. And this is like, I think people always say, you know, go into medicine for the right reasons. If you go into medicine because you genuinely want to take care of people every day, then you're doing it for the right reason. You genuinely want to connect with them, meet them where they are, offer them med changes or new therapies or groundbreaking research that could change their well-being, offer them surgery, moment-by-moment moment interventions. You know, I mean, what a cool job that you can just walk into people's lives and offer those things like that's the coolest thing you could ever do to me (laughs) of course I'm biased but um so I would say you know you recover by just recognizing the good parts about your day by recognizing why you're doing what you're doing and keeping your head up it's it's a big saying to keep put your head down and keep going I don't like that because I I why are we putting our heads down (laughs) like yeah I look down when I'm in the OR I look down when I'm studying but to me, looking down is, is, like, is like defeat. Don't look down. Look up. Look up at what you're doing. Look up at who you're seeing. Look up at what comes next. Because whatever comes next has to be better than what's coming now, if it's really that bad. And if it's not, then you're stronger for what you faced. You know, Look up. Look up at what's coming You know, because it's good. And, and if it's not good, if it's really hard, there's something you're going to grow from. 
you will become better for it. And whatever challenge that was, face it with the inner strength that you have because you have it. So young women preparing for medical school, my advice for you. Okay. Um, So I guess I'm aiming this at pre-med students or high school students. I have a couple of things. The first is um, cultivate what you love now. Don't wait and get good at figuring out how to do that. When I was in high school, I was involved in musical theater and uh, choir, and I went on to continue that through college. And, and then I picked up some extra art in college. I did ceramics, and um, I just learned how to allow that creativity to be a part of my life, even when I was a scientist. And I think balancing the dualities of the things you enjoy can be one of the greatest gifts you can give yourself because you need to have outlets. When you get to med school, when you get to being a physician, when you are in college, you need to know where your outlet is and you need to know how to go to it when things are hard and you need to know how to go to it when things are easy, um, how to rely on that outlet. So I would say cultivate those outlets, find what you love, get to know yourself, learn about the things that you like to read and, and that you enjoy every single day. So I would say my piece of advice for a young woman, woman preparing for med school is get to know the things that you love so that you can build those habits and those foundations now. Don't wait. Um, And then continue those every single day. As you prepare for med school and as you get into med school, continue doing those habits. It will make you you. It will make you you. So young women in medical school, um, my biggest piece of advice for people in medical school, it's kind of hard. Be open to new opportunities. I walked into college being a biology teacher in my goals, and I walked into medical school doing interventional cardiology in my goals, and boy, have those changed. So be open to the new opportunities that you will encounter. Be open to the new paths, and when you know one door closes, they say another door opens, or maybe it's a window or something. Like Look for the next opening, the next best thing for you. Um, it's very powerful to be able to do that. So I would say be open to the people you meet, be open to the experiences that you are given and uh, go to them with an open heart. Go to them with an open heart because that's the best thing you can do to learn and to continue to grow. So with that being said, all of these incredible women who have just given their time and their hearts on this show, I thank you so much for being a part of this journey. To all the listeners, I thank you so much for being a part of this journey with me. Thank you for listening to Essential Wisdom, Inspiring Future Female Physicians. I hope you leave inspired and ready to face whatever comes your way. 